You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Eternal God, we thank you for your living word. We thank you that we have it, we can study it. We thank you that we have the living word of Christ among us and in us. And so we pray today for our time together around this word, that this will not just come in mere words, but it will come with power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. Through Jesus we pray, amen. We have been walking the sands of the high desert in search of spirituality that's uniquely Albuquerque and uniquely Christian. Last night I drove in after being with my grandmother uh, on Friday and Saturday, who lives over in southwestern Oklahoma. First thing I did since I arrived at like 5.30 is go straight to Bear Canyon, put on my hiking shoes, and catch the sunset. So in a period of just 30 minutes, I was able to watch the sunset, watch the sandias turn pink, and then turn back and see as the watercolor view of Mount Taylor just captivated with color. And as I made the bend back to the house, you know what popped up over the mountains? The moon. The full moon. I was just, I just stopped and I watched the full moon come up over the mountains. When it comes to spirituality, we are looking for meaning. In fact, I've done very little to give you any kind of definition of spirituality for very intentional reasons. When most people talk about spirituality, they're talking about the spirit or the soul. And a lot of times it's about trying to connect with something bigger, something beyond ourselves, or to find meaning in life. And I think those are pretty good definitions of of spirituality. Connecting with something that is beyond ourselves and trying to find meaning in life. Now, for me and for many in this room, we have a spirituality that's very, it's more particular, right? We serve Jesus as King, as Messiah. And so we have a Christian spirituality, which positions us on the landscape of other spiritualities. It's different from a Hindu spirituality where there can be many gods or a Buddhist spirituality that's going to look for enlightenment or even an exclusively Jewish spirituality. On and on we could go. Muslim, New Age, whatever. But with us, we're pursuing a uniquely Christian spirituality. And the way that we've been doing that is looking at an old document that was written in the Middle East by a Jewish rabbi. It was written during the time of Roman rule, the Roman Empire. And this Jewish rabbi, when Jesus was alive, was a Jew. And he didn't become a follower of Jesus until after Jesus died. Now that catches my attention. right? After Jesus dies, after he's ascended, this fellow comes to know Jesus as the Lord. That catches my attention because while Jesus was alive, 
He was all about disproving the teachings of Jesus, of persecuting those who were following Jesus, even standing by while those who were followers of Jesus were executed. This Rabbi Saul participated himself in imprisoning and killing those who chose to follow the name of Jesus. So I pay attention when after Jesus dies, after he's resurrected and ascended, this man becomes a follower of Jesus. That's a radical switch. And it was a radical switch. Because his name even changed from Saul to Paul. And this Jewish rabbi began writing letters to churches all over the Middle East. And the one in particular that we're looking at, he wrote to those who lived in Colossae, a town that was seated next to a river, also next to a mountain, strangely enough, sounding a lot like Albuquerque. In our first week together, what we learned was that leaders need to pray for the flourishing of believers. But that's very important, that leaders pray for the believers to bear fruit, to have the strength of God, and to be empowered to look like Jesus. In week two, we looked at a poem, a poem that lifted up Christ, probably an early Christian song, and helped us see that Christ wasn't just someone who walked among other human beings, but who existed in the beginning with God and through whom all things were created. Then in the third week, we found out what our goal is, where we're headed in spiritual maturity, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then last week, as we looked at this little letter to Colossae, we found that not only should Christ be in us, but we need to be rooted and established and founded in Jesus Christ. Well, this week, this week we get to talk about the mind and the body of spirituality. Bringing these two together. A mindfulness about who Christ is and an embodiment of Christ in our own life. Too often, these get separated, especially in Paul's time. Separating the mind from the body. But we want to bring these two together and see them united. So let's get going. Let's look in Colossians chapter 3 that was just read to us. Seek the things that are above. Verse 1. Verse 2. Set your mind on things above. Here Paul jumps in and helps us to think about our focus, our meditation upon Jesus. And as I hear him say this, setting the mind on things above and, and seeking the things that are above, I wonder, what does this really look like? I mean, it, it doesn't sound very grounded. It doesn't sound very on the earth as he describes Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. I mean, it, it sounds like clouds and Jesus and God on golden thrones, and maybe angels playing some harps. This doesn't sound like this world. How is it that we're supposed to set our mind on things above? Well, we kind of get ahead of ourselves. Look at the very first words of this passage. Your version might say, if. Others might say, since then. If you've been raised with Christ, or since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. 
You see, Paul is not just writing to those who've grown up in church. That's not what being, uh, being raised with Christ looks like. He is writing to those who have been baptized into Jesus, who have found their identity in Jesus. And they have positioned themselves to be identified with Christ in this very real and very physical, yet spiritual way. They've died to themselves in baptism. And they're standing there in the water with Jesus. And they're buried under the water, only just for a second. Don't, too much longer, you really will die. And then they're raised up to new life to live with Jesus in that resurrected realm. So who he's writing to are people who have been raised up with Christ. So that might characterize many of us today. It might also be something where you're not a Christian and you might want to entertain the notion of this kind of spirituality, one that is connected to Jesus, to see if it might be your pattern of life. Well, the hinting of this story, the hinting of this baptism, lets us know that we're a part of a story that's already begun. We jump into this in process. And in capsule form, we learn that God comes in the flesh as Jesus and lived among us teaching and instructing and guiding people in the way of life. And it was a reality that was so threatening, so challenging, that the religious leaders of Jesus' age and the political leaders of Jesus' age killed him, executed him, put him to death. But God refused to be stopped by death and Jesus rose again and gives us a hope not only of what life looks like, but what life eternal begins to look like. And we get to enter into this story, a story that's already going, a story where God has done the hard work and we don't have to sit and wring our hands about how well did we do baptism and did we do it right or to think about What's going on with us? No, God is the one that's working. God has eliminated our sin. God has eliminated the ways that we define ourselves by mistakes and even the harsh things that we say to ourselves. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. Where we tend to drift back to old ways of living and don't live into this new life, a life that's been given to us. A life that Paul says, look in verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Wow. Hidden with Christ in God. This is the kind of life that we want. This is what we're seeking after and striving for. And the primary ways that he talks about it are seeking and setting the mind. Now, this is more embodied than it is spiritual. To, to talk about seeking something, we could play hide and seek, and you're, you're going out to find something real, something tangible. You're looking for, you're on the hunt to find, or trying to attain something. We're trying to seek Jesus who is above. Well, also in this verse 2, we're setting our minds. Your version might say heart. Does anybody have a version that says heart? And that's a perfectly good version. Sometimes our ears hear that as 
feelings or emotions. And we're not, we're not talking about specifically feelings and emotion. We're talking about that place in our heart, that gut that is intentional and makes decisions. So if we're talking about heart in that way, that's what we mean. More often than not, we use the word mind to set our focus and to set our attention. Well, there's something different about what Paul is teaching here from the kind of spiritualities that we have. It's even different from the kind of spiritualities that Paul and the Colossians faced in their time. And let me tell you kind of what the difference is. Most of the time with spirituality, we're looking in this life trying to do something that will help us get into the heavenlies. Right? So maybe we want to uh, read something. Maybe you want to engage in some ritual or use a chemical or eat some particular food that will help us and kind of prompt us to be in these heavenly realms, to give us an exalted kind of experience. Paul's approach is a little different. He begins with what seems way up in the clouds with the reality that's there, that God is real and that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And he allows that spiritual reality to shape the everyday life. Do you see the difference there? Where sometimes we just try to make use of spirituality to prompt us into some other level of understanding or awareness or consciousness or peace. And Paul flips that around and says, look, this is real. God exists. Jesus has walked the earth. Now, live your life in light of that new reality. I mean, it's, it's how Jesus was able to live his life so at ease. Have you ever wondered about this? He shows us what this looks like. That he could be attacked, or made fun of, or told to be a liar. That he could even be in the middle of a storm that makes fishermen afraid, and he is perfectly at ease in the kingdom of God. Right? He could walk to his death knowing what his teaching was going to cause and be at ease and comfortable because of God being in control. That kind of ease, that kind of comfort in the kingdom of God is what we're focused in on. This life in God is one that we sometimes just set aside. A lot of times we just keep going back to the same dead-end ways of living. Even though we know the road is not a through road, we just keep turning down the same old path, living the dead life by our actions. Why is it that we continue to live our lives based upon things that have an expiration date? and not focused on things that are above. One time I took the kids uh, swimming, and at the pool, we'd been there a while, a guy walks in who's one of these kind of fill-up-the-room kind of personalities. One of these people that no matter how big the pool is or how big everything is, he's going to begin to engage you in conversation. How deep is this pool? I don't really know. It looks like it says so on the shallow end there, but I don't see that it's marked on the deep end. Well, he just begins telling a story. No one asked him to share a story, but he tells a story. You know, I almost died when I was a kid. 
I didn't know how to swim. Me and some friends were swimming in a, a, a creek, kind of a stream, a big pond type area, a still place in this creek. And I was standing in the shallow end in the water because I could not swim, he said. And he just began kind of slowly walking out into the deeper end until he slipped off the edge. It became deep quickly. And he was suddenly down under the water many feet and was standing on the bottom of this stream drowning. He didn't know how to swim. Sucking in water. And he said, I was lucky because one of the girls that was in another group that wasn't with us saw that I had gone down and she happened to be a lifeguard. She dove in and pulled me to the top and after vomiting up water, she saved my life. Now, he brings that up not to focus on the dead life, but to focus in on the life that he wanted to live. What he ended up doing was becoming a lifeguard. And he couldn't ever go to any pool ever without remembering what happened to him in that pond and wanting to know the depths of the water so that if he needed to save someone, he could. So why is it that we tend to stay in the water, we stay in areas of death that should be given away, should be let go of? In verses 5-11, through 11, Paul points us to some lists. Lists are you know, nice, they're fun, I don't always enjoy them. And with these lists, they're not that great. In verse 10, he says, put to death. And he lists off several things. A lot of them are sexual sins. All kinds of sexual exploration. So he uses words like fornication and impurity and passion. These are misplaced understandings of sexuality. Now, let me be clear. God made sex. Sex is amazing. It's beautiful. He didn't make a mistake with sex. It's not dirty, it's not bad in any way. Sex has a place and a position. And here, what's described is the kind of sexuality that might take advantage of another person. Where it's focused in on your own desires and your own fulfillment. It might even do violence to another person. These descriptions of sex are sex outside of a committed relationship that's been covenanted before God. Right? Now, I don't enjoy these lists, but he goes on and talks about desiring evil or being greedy. Greedy can be something about drawing and wanting more and more money. It can be about wanting more and more sexual experiences. Pleasure. When in the kingdom of God, we have an understanding of sexuality that's more generous. It's more focused in on the other. How can one serve the needs of that person and be committed to them over the long haul? The other list that pops up is in verse 8. And these are equally uncomfortable. Anger. Get, but now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Don't lie to, other, to one another. Anger and wrath. Ooh, 
Not fun to talk about. In fact, malice is another one people don't want to talk about. Wishing ill on someone else. Hoping for their demise. Now, here's what I want to offer to you. is the spiritual discipline of anger. That's right. Anger can be a spiritual discipline. I want you to pay attention to those times in your life when you get angry. When you begin to just be incensed. Now think about it. It could be that it's a stupid driver that makes you angry. Could be a misbehaving child or an employee that just doesn't get it. Right? Maybe it's an opponent. It's someone that's just always out to get you. They're always questioning you. They're always dragging you down. Okay, well, it's pretty easy for us to very quickly say, my anger is that person's fault. Right? Because... They're stupid, or they're disobeying, or they're just out to get me, right? We, we're focused in on the other person. Well, I want us to go deeper. I want us to go much further into the why. Why is it that we get so angry? Why is it that our blood begins to boil? What really is going on there? What's happening in those moments of anger is that our will is being thwarted. What we want done is not happening at some level. In fact, I want you to treat anger as if it's like a smoke detector or a carbon monoxide detector. To let it be a time where you press pause and say, what's going on here? You know, whenever it's the stupid driver who cuts you off turning left, gets in the left lane, they make it through the light, and you don't. And you get angry. Well, why is it that you're angry? You're angry because where you need to go is just as important as the person that cut you off, but now you're having to wait at the light. <laughs> what you want done, it's touching a nerve here with a lot of people, <laughs> what you want to be able to do is to get where you're going, but what you want has been stopped. It's been throttled, and you're having to burn gas right there at the light and wait, a child, a misbehaving child. Now, sure, they should obey their grandparent or obey their parent. They should clean up their room. But what is it that that little three-year-old has done to get you so angry? Step back from it for a minute. Are you really angry because they're not cleaning up their room? Or are you angry because you've not only left the movie paused on Netflix, it's already timed out and cycled down to a power-saving mode. Right? Maybe you're angry because what you want to do has been thwarted. Are you with me on this? Are you with me on how anger can be a spiritual discipline, a smoke detector that alerts you to what's going on? And I'm telling you, freeze it and pay attention to what's going on whenever an opponent embarrasses you and you just feel this need to defend yourself or at the light or with the child. Pause. All of these are an example of pausing. When abusive language comes out of our mouth, when sexual desire is increased in us, or maybe it's a desire for money is increased in us, or when the, the, the beginnings of anger begin to bubble and the cauldron begins to boil, Pause and ask yourself, 
How is this advancing the life of Christ? Bring together the mind and the body and think about the throne room and imagine the realities that are set there and let that influence who you are in the here and now. Again, I wonder why it is, and, I, and I'm in this too, we continue to live lives that are dead. It's almost as if my, my uh, friend who talked about his swimming experience, it's almost as if we would just keep jumping into the water and staying down in the water trying to drown ourselves time after time after time. Going to these dead-end streets and just returning to them because we think that something good is there. Trace out this life and see if it actually is worth spending time with. Is this a life that's hidden with God in Christ? You know, another way we can do this is to talk about three gods. These are little g-gods. There's plenty that we could come up with. First God, the God of illusion. God of illusion invites us into a, a realm or an arena where we get to kind of check out for a while. Maybe that's a movie. Maybe that's a show that we love. Maybe that's social media or even a video game where we get to take on the persona of someone else. In this God of illusion, we can invest a lot of time, a lot of anxiety and emotional energy in something that may not translate into anything the next day. We might trade our high score, we might talk about what we've watched, but has it changed us in any substantive or positive way into the life of Christ? Maybe not. Another God is the God of need. Where we need the new ski helmet. And we just look once for the new ski helmet, and now every website we go to, here's this ski helmet over here. Ski helmet over here. Need is being generated and stoked in us. Where we've got to have that. And here are many avenues to buy the ski helmet that we want. This God of need makes us think that one more gadget, one more thing, that will probably end up in either the gadget graveyard or the corner of the garage that we thought was going to fulfill our lives is collecting dust where it's been for 20 years. The God of need. Another God, lowercase g, is the God of escape. Of trying to find some way to check out, some way to just kind of indulge ourselves. To numb. To find some security outside of the real world. The God of escape. Now, we could bring up lots of them. And I don't, I don't want you to hear me saying that any of these things is necessarily or inherently bad. Right? To talk about entertainment or to talk about things that we buy, this is not bad. And aren't you so glad that Paul doesn't run around preaching hot topic type issues of, well, let me give you the sermon on politics and let me tell you about this social issue. No, he pushes it in, into our lives, into things like what goes on inside of us, like anger or desire, and makes us think about ourselves in perspective with humanity. If we're looking to find ourselves hidden in Christ and sheltered in Christ, it demands we think about some of these things. Because it destabilizes the normal ways that we think about our location. If we are fixed on the reality of God reigning in Christ by the power of the Spirit, 
It changes how we think about graduation or retirement or where we're at in our career or what we're needing to do to train ourselves. We're bringing together both mind and body into the present moment. Unify. Because we know what our big thing is. With spirituality, if we're seeking something that is beyond us, we are seeking God. And we're holding up Jesus Christ as an example of what not just what spiritual realities are, but spiritual realities in our hearts, in our lives. What it can look like for you, hidden in Christ, to know that you are empowered by the Spirit and that you are in God by being hidden in Christ. It's a beautiful thing to look at these old words and to be challenged. To be challenged by the words that come out of our mouth and even those words that we filter and hold inside of our minds. Challenged to become hidden in Christ. Surrounded, sheltered. Almost like being wrapped up in the most comfortable blanket you can imagine. Protected. Because we have a different focus. A different reality. A spirituality will help us find meaning. It will help us connect with what is beyond. But when it comes to Christian spirituality, we have something that is tried and true. We have something that is of God that we can be a part of. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we need Your help. We need You to be God because we're not so good at being God of our lives. Would You help us to take on the life of Jesus Christ? Would You help us to pay attention to the smoke detectors, the carbon monoxide detectors of our anger and of our desire? And help us. Help us to live into the reality that is true, that You are God and we are not. We thank You for the life that we have in Jesus and we ask for His power. Amen.